Blog Talk Radio. The decision by a grand jury not to indict in the death of Eric Garner is a miscarriage of justice. It's an outrage. It's a disgrace. It's a blow to our democracy, and it should shock the conscience of every single American who cares about justice and fair play. What more does America need to see to understand that we've got a problem in this country as it relates to the relationship between the police and communities of color, which far too often results in the death of unarmed innocent African-Americans such as Eric Garner. We don't understand how the grand jury could have arrived at this result. That is why we want the Department of Justice to move forward with a full and a fair and a comprehensive investigation so we can get to the truth of what happened and so that there can be some accountability for the death of Eric Garner. And welcome in, ladies and gentlemen of America, tonight on AJC Radio. What you just heard moments ago was Congressman Hakeem Jeffries talking about the huge miscarriage of justice in our judicial system. This is just the beginning, as tonight we take a look at miscarriage of justice in America. And I got one thing to tell you, the numbers are not dropping, they are growing, as injustice continues to grow and justice lies idle in the streets of America. Tonight we tackle this issue. Folks, hang on to your seats. AJC Radio kicks off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, William Williams, and the entire AJC Radio team tonight as we tackle a very troubling trend, if you will, that's happening in this country. And it is called a miscarriage of justice. And we'll be talking about a number of cases tonight uh, dealing with this issue. We are supposed to be joined a little later in the program. Uh, Robert Bogorovich will be joining us uh, in regards to his perception of the injustice going on here in this country. Uh, And I'll tell you right now, it is a troubling trend. Uh, William, as we discuss this issue tonight, uh, I, through research, through my uh, doing my homework, if you will, there are horrific cases of just you got to really understand and explain to the American people and our listeners around the world what is a miscarriage of justice. That is huge. Yes, it when is. the foundation and the principles in which we stand in this country are supposed to be founded upon fairness and justice. And as we look at this trend going on, uh, and with, we cannot leave out tonight, and we will get to that story of the special edition of What You Didn't Know, uh, in regards to the miscarriage of justice against the RP6. Who are they? David Banks, Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. Miscarriage of justice, and not, not accidental, not indirectly, blatant 
Yes, miscarriage of justice. Your thoughts on that, William? Well, you know, I, I think now we're seeing it more and more. And those that are out there that are not, uh, you know, their their eyes are not open. They need they need to wake up to the seriousness of what we're what we're seeing right now in this country. We're seeing that our system is broken. And for those that don't believe that, I mean, you need to get out of fairy tale land. You need to get out of where the clouds because. This system, our judicial system, is broken. We're seeing travesty after travesty. I mean, we're seeing this uh, with the Freddie Gray case where we're seeing police officers that were responsible for uh, this man's life, his transportation, uh, you know, that caused death. I mean, rough rough driving. I mean, the, the, the other police officer is going on trial today. No doubt he will walk. I mean, we're seeing this all over the place. And, and Cliff, I mean, I don't know what – what we're going to do as a country, but we're going to have to have to we're going to have to stand up. We're going to have to let our voices be heard and say enough. The judicial system needs to be uh, unbiased. It needs to stop favoring those that are rich, those that are are um, uh, white, you know, and opposing us of color, opposing the the minorities that are in this country. It something has to be done. So I I don't know. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Well. When you look at it, all all of these things are happening, and uh, as you said, William, case after case after case, even down to uh, Freddie Graves, is it, just saying that there is there is really you know the the judicial system is broken, and uh, you know it is a difficult prospect to get it fixed. But you know the one place where it starts is that you know we all have to get out and vote for at every level. You know you can't just say okay. I'm going to vote for president. You got to get out. You got to vote for your sheriff. You got to vote for your local judges. You got to vote for your uh, for your assemblyman. You have to vote for your your uh, city council. You got to vote for everything and make sure that you take an active part in what's going on because you can't just have one person with one voice saying, you know, we need to change this. And we we can all sit here and say, yeah, this needs to change. And absolutely, it does. I totally believe that. But to, to implement what it takes to get it changed, people will have to get out there, have to basically campaign for their rights as a constituent, campaign to tell your member of Congress, of your city council, whatever it is, this is what I'm expecting. I'm not going to take anything less. If there is not fair representation, then I will vote you out of office. That is what elected officials understand. They're, they don't understand anything else i mean you have the uh you have the public opinion trial and that that's all well and good but for things to really change you got to get out there make those elected officials stand up for the reason that you elected them and that is that is the first uh line of defense no no, absolutely lisa the disclaimer for our uh listeners tonight we just excuse me we just want to remind everyone that we're not attorneys and that it just causes not provide legal advice You want to contact your personal legal advisor for all of your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC radio. And as always, we want to thank you for tuning in and spending a little bit of your evening with us. Uh, And thank you for that, Lisa. Folks, feel free to call in tonight uh, for this program. Your thoughts are important. 347-838-8976. That's 347-838-8976. As we dig into this problem... And I'll tell you right now, folks, uh, until we begin to address the issues in this country, there's never, ever going to be a change implemented as we sit back, as Cliff alluded to,
the importance of voting, the importance of getting out the vote for this election, uh, whether it's your congressman, your senator, the president, of course, uh, the, uh, the really huge election there, and what the ramifications are if we sit back and do nothing. Uh, a miscarriage of justice is something that is a, maybe should never happen in a, in a true uh, society of justice, but it's say there's an error or some type of mistake. Uh, the problem here with what we're facing is that these are not mistakes. These are not harmless errors, as the high court would deem them to be. These are blatant acts, intentional acts, intentional misconduct, intentional violation of law. When you begin to run all of those things, that's why it's called a miscarriage, a miscarriage of justice, meaning it wasn't carried in the right way. It wasn't dealt with in the right way. It was, a, it was, a, it was an ending at the start, and tonight we're going to deal with some issues uh, that need to be addressed. Congressman uh, Hakeem Jeffries, very upset in regards back with the Eric Gardner situation, said it is a travesty. It is a huge miscarriage of justice that not one person was charged in the death of this man, Eric Gardner, who was choked to death, murdered on the streets in broad daylight. With video. With, with video, video and witnesses. Yes. Yes. That's un- uncomprehendable to me. Well, and it's, it's going to happen. I mean, you know, just like I alluded to, it's going to happen here with the Freddie Gray case. And it's sad. It's sad. The, the, the senior officer goes to trial today, I believe. That was the, the news today. I mean, the other three officers got off, and the man's dead. A man's dead. His his family is. I mean, is how, dealing, I mean, I don't know how you deal with that. I mean, where is the where is this to serve and protect that's written on the back of these cruisers? Well, I, mean, I said know, it. Listen, William, I said it a long time ago. That bus left town long a long ago. time ago, uh, and it has not been replaced uh, with anything. The presumption of innocence to for a defendant. Left a long time ago. Everything that speaks justice in our country right now has left the station. That's true. That is true. And you got people waiting. Where's the bus? It ain't coming back. No. That's the problem. Until we say enough is enough, and we begin to pick at the bus station of justice and say you have to come back. America's, I, the American people do not become outraged enough. And I'm telling you, it is time for outrage. It is time for pure outrage, not violence, outrage. That's and true. folks that are willing to take a stand and say, it is, we are not going to tolerate this type of injustice. We have accepted miscarriages of justice as a status quo. It's just the way it is. No big deal. It is a very big deal when it visits you at your front door. Well, that's the, that's the thing right there. People don't want to get involved. Until it happens to them. I think that's, that's one of the biggest things. You know, Cliff said it. You said it. Let your voice be heard. But the bottom line is let it be heard when it's happening to your neighbor or happening to someone down the street. It doesn't necessarily have to happen to you. It can happen to you, and that's what people don't realize. They think these things are just one-off cases. Something that happened, you know, what's the percentage of this happening? It's a high percent that can, it can happen to you. That's it very line. much can happen to you. No, without question, and this is something that needs to be discussed. We're going to dig into it tonight here on AJC Radio, and uh, I'll tell you what, we're going to get back to that, folks. Again, feel free to call in to the show tonight, 347-838-8976. That's 347-838-8976. And a little bit of news, Cliff. We were talking earlier. Um, 
we were talking about the advocate and actor Jesse Williams uh, from Grey's Anatomy, I believe, is the program he is on. Uh, he made a very strong deliverance, if you will, delivery speech uh, at the BET Awards. He was honored for the Humanitarian of the Year, uh, doing some things, got involved with uh, Black Lives Matter down there in, in, in Ferguson, got out there, got in the trenches, walked with the families of the victims, uh, dealt with issues of the, of the protest down there, really got involved with the fight. Uh, he got involved with the Flint, Michigan situation. This man is serious about his business. And my understanding is there has been a petition uh, sent out uh, asking that Jesse Williams be fired uh, from Gray's Anatomy. Uh, it was started on July 1st. It garnered more than 11,600 signatures by Tuesday afternoon, accusing him of making a racist hate speech against law enforcement and white people and calls for Shonda Rhimes, the show's creator, to cut him loose. Let me break it down for you in no uncertain terms. Jesse Williams spoke the truth. He said we are not property, and he just told it like it is. Cliff, when we were discussing a little bit about Jesse Williams, he made it clear. He told people if you don't know what the oppression of, uh, of African Americans are, then you need to keep your mouth shut. You don't need to comment. If you want to talk about what we're not doing, don't, don't, you need to educate yourself on what our oppression is and where we come from as far as being oppressed. The bottom line is this country does not like truth. They don't like to be told directly that they're wrong. This is why this attack is on Jesse Williams. Well, when you look at it, it's, it's like, okay, if you speak up about racism, if you speak up about miscarriages of justice, if you speak up about the wrongdoings going on that uh, young black men are being killed and nobody's being held accountable, then they want to then they want to say that you know you're you're spewing hate. This is this is truth. This is the reality of what is going on. Even Steven Spielberg sent out a tweet when the first officer in the Freddie Gray situation went charged. He said he said it's amazing that nobody is responsible for Freddie Gray's death. Now that speaks volumes because. Here's a man who died in police custody, but America saying nobody's responsible for his death. How? And then somebody speaks up about situations like that, and you say that they're they're making a hate a hate Look. speech. And and the bottom line is America doesn't want to deal with the truth. And then how do you say? How do you eleven thousand six hundred people who signed that petition say that race relations have gone anywhere in America? That proves it. The fact that you signed the petition saying he needs to be removed, you want you want to talk about racism to be quiet so racism can continue. You true. just exactly proved right. that, that you want everything to remain the same. Well, Jesse Williams made this statement. He said he's alarmed at the fact that a police officer can do a drive-by on a 12-year-old boy in a park and go home and make a sandwich and eat it. That's true. After he's done, what, what's wrong with that? It's like it's like you it's like you shot a uh, it's like you shot a squirrel in the street or you and, shot you shot a rat. Well, the point Jesse Williams made is well, this is a twelve year old boy in a, and, on a swing with a play gun, not a threat to anybody around him. Nobody's at the park. Hypothetically, if he had a gun, he's on a swing. Okay. He's playing. My understanding, Cliff, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't the officers told that the guy had a toy gun? I thought yeah. that was told to that, the officer. That was told in the 911 dispatch. You hear the caller saying, 
I think it's a toy gun. It's probably a toy gun. And then the officer, wow. the, the the thing is, when you see the video and the officer pulls up, there is no negotiation. You know, right. There's no negotiation. There's no officer staying, you know, within a reasonable distance, getting out, being protected by his car and saying, hey, you individual with the gun, put the gun down. Get up. No, he pulls up. Jumps out of his car and just starts fire. How do you how how is it that thirty seconds from the time you show up on the scene, there's a dead twelve year old boy by your hand as a police officer? And how is no one held responsible for that situation? That is sick. And I think Jesse Williams was making the point that he would have been fourteen years old. Uh, this this child was shot at the age of twelve, murdered, and he said he made a statement. How do you, how does a police officer with a badge? Get away with a drive-by. That's right. But I think one thing to point out here, one thing that is very important to point out, Jesse Williams is biracial. His his father's African-American. His mother's white. And he said, you know, I play a doctor, but there's real issues that are going on in America. And I'm paraphrasing. But he saw the opportunity, and he's using his position to do what most African-American celebrities should be doing. They have a platform. They should be taking a stand for the things that are wrong and pointing it out instead of just letting these things pass by and worry about you know, how it may impact their money or whatever. He saw an opportunity. You know what I'm saying? I mean, so I think he should be commended. I think he should be commended, and people should look at the reality that this is a biracial man that is just step- – he's taking a stand for the unjust. Look, at the end of the day – Lisa, go ahead. Yeah, you know, Lamont, I, I have to just uh, agree with what Cliff and William were saying because I think the bottom line is people just don't want to deal with the truth of the situation. That's the bottom line. They don't like the truth. The truth does not feel good. The truth doesn't sound good. People don't like to hear it. So they'd rather hear that, oh, no, things are getting better. Oh, no, it's not that bad. That's what they'd like to hear, but that's not the truth of the matter, and they don't want to hear what's actually real out there. Well, he made a good point, Jesse Williams. We salute you here on AJC Radio. He, I listened to the entire uh, presentation. Uh, there was nothing in that presentation that targeted white people, law enforcement. He targeted bigotry. He targeted racism. If that falls under your uh, ethnic background, then deal with it. It is a general speech that he made, and he has a right to say he doesn't want to hear that we've come so far along when our children continue to die at an alarming rate, and I saw a statistic today, it's not only dealing with law enforcement and racism. You're dealing with the conditions of this country, if, and I had to double look at, take a double take, if you will, at my television screen, on the number of shootings in Chicago, not deaths, total shootings to date in Chicago. 2000 this year wow so that's, those that's phenomenal now th- we, we said before on the statistics that i believe 400 people have died this year that's my understanding it's not no more people than that because i thought that was a monthly statistic research team can look that up for us the alarming rate of the chicago but they, it's to the point where every day on the news somebody is dying in the on the streets of chicago we have a problem now i'm going to say this the problem with the poverty-stricken communities, whether it's Chicago, inner cities and big inner uh, ghettos, if you will, uh, inner cities, whatever, where the poverty is really, really bad, living conditions uh, are really, really bad, we have a problem that the poor, the poor people of this country have gone ignored. 
That's true. You cannot. Congressman Rango made it very clear, Cliff, in our conversation with him. As as soon as you clean up, give people self-esteem, give people a sense of belonging and doing something and getting in jobs and getting education. You know what? Those poverty-stricken neighborhoods, Cliff, would not probably be in the condition because our young people wouldn't be coming from the cradle to the gang, if you will. That's true. Absolutely. I mean, you have to give people more than, okay, th- this is your, your yesterday is the only thing that you have to look forward for, to look forward to. That is not the way that you, uh, that you bring community together. And in this situation, you can't say, okay, because you make a statement about the wrong that's going on in America, well, you shut up about that and you just, you just deal with the fact, sit where you're at, uh, be you know only have what what we feel you should have as a people. That is not the solution, and you cannot say okay we're going to ostracize or uh, you know basically. I mean this is this is like blaming a victim for being the victim of a crime. You cannot do that um, and expect for for the public or the community to have any respect for law enforcement. It's, it's not, not going to happen. And I'll tell you what the statistics are: these two thousand people have been shot in Chicago in 2016, 319 people killed in 2016. And hear this number on the 4th of July. More than 60 people were shot in Chicago over the 4th of July weekend. And we have members of Congress that refuse to vote on gun control. That's another show. Ladies and gentlemen, stand by as we get ready to take off on this show, The Miscarriage of Justice running rampant in the streets of America and in the courtrooms in this nation. We attack that on the other side of this break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this serves as a personal invitation to you. Let's Talk kicks off July 12th at 7 p.m. at 451 Winchime Place. The new acclaimed series on A&E, 60 Days In, will be the topic. Featuring Sheriff Jamie Knoll talking about the impact this new series is having, not only around the nation, but in his personal life. Join us Tuesday, July 12th at 7 p.m. For further information, call 855-529-4252, extension 710. We'll see you then. I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a sister. A registered nurse. I serve my country in the United States military. I'm your neighbor. I sit next to you at church. And my child was arrested, held in custody, questioned without my knowledge, exposed to violence, witnessed to rape, placed in solitary confinement, unable to call or see me, shackled to a wall, beaten, sentenced as an adult at age 17, sentenced as an adult at age 16, sentenced as an adult at age 15. We felt lost, isolated, ostracized, misjudged, terrified, and in the absence of all hope, my child took his own life. And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life. Now I know I'm not alone. And neither are you. Now we have a voice. Now we We have have power. power. In numbers. In numbers. In numbers. We we can can make a difference. There are approximately 2 million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. 
If you are the family member of a child who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org. I'm a Bart police officer who shot and killed a man. When I first saw the Oscar Graham footage, like a lot of people here in Oakland, I was outraged. As soon as I heard about it and I went online and I seen what had happened, tears came down my eyes. It was something that was very alarming as a police officer and as a citizen of Oakland. It was like such a blatant murder. You have a city in trauma. Anyone that's seen that and looks at it is in trauma. My hope is that people will express their concern with police brutality, but they will do so in constructive ways that don't include violence. We cannot perpetrate this cycle of harm and violence in this community. Because we do have to live here and they terrorize the city and it's only going to make it worse for us. They killed our young you can protest, you can try to make a change, but there is a positive way you can do it. And make sure we let the police know and that we're aware that stuff ain't right out here. We're trying to fix it. In a way that is about using your voice for justice and making Oakland a safer place for everyone to live and get along as one. Violence is not just Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. And welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen of America, coming live from Colorado Springs, Colorado, where the temperature right now is 87 degrees, mostly cloudy, and in Los Angeles, 75 and sunny as it should be, and Washington, D.C., cloudy and some humidity, I am sure, New York City, 85 and sunny, a nice summer, summer evening, if you will, as we have celebrated the 4th of July, and a very special thanks to the soldiers, to the veterans that give their lives and put their lives on the line every day uh, to protect this nation. Uh, we salute you as we celebrate the independence of the United States of America. Though challenged, we address some very troubling issues uh, that need to be addressed and put on the table tonight. I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and William Williams, and we welcome you back to a very troubling program discussion, if you will, uh, in regards to miscarriage of justice in America. Um, we're dealing with a huge amount of issues uh, as we deal uh, with this issue. So we're going to discuss these things, hopefully get into a conversation uh, that is meaningful. Cliff, as, as we've been in this conversation today, uh, uh, very, for a very limited time, just for a few minutes tonight, uh, how troubling is this as we, should we, I mean, we have to address what's going on in this nation right now. Uh, how troubling is it that we face such serious uh, issues when it comes to our judicial system in this country that seems to be getting worse and worse? And, I mean, it's it's absolutely, uh, you know, I don't want to say terrifying, but extremely troubling. And um, I think the thing that really gets you is not that these things are happening in the judicial system, but that there is a sect of America that wants people to shut up about to say just be quiet let the so-called justice system be it's working uh, you know mass incarceration so what people committed a crime they deserve to be in prison where is the compassion from America as a whole where is the you know just reasonable individual that says you know this, this makes absolutely no sense 
I mean, you were talking about the story earlier that uh, I'm sure you're going to get into with the two sisters, and you're like, how does this even make sense? How how do you uh, how do you give somebody double life for eleven dollars? How does a judge say you know uh, a person has a bag of weed that they were either going to get high or they were selling, and you give that person twenty years in prison? Those are the type of things that you say this makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And like I said, the thing that troubles me the most, I think, is the fact that there are people who don't look at the American justice system, uh, you know, that it has an issue. All they want to say, oh, no, you know, you committed a crime. You deserve to go to jail until you look at it from your perspective and say, OK, the system came after me. That's when most people realize how, uh, you know, how corrupt it is and how outlandish the sentencing is and and how uh, prosecutorial misconduct has run rampant in America. No, without question. And, and, and going to that story, folks, uh, feel free to call in and chime in on this show, 347-838-8976, 347-838-8976. And uh, what we have here, Jamie and Gladys Scott, often referred to as the Scott sisters, um, are, of course, African-American, uh, got into a situation, uh, as Cliff alluded to, uh, they were young. When they were convicted, the, the charge says they were convicted of orchestrating a 1993 armed robbery in Forest, Mississippi, after accomplices made a plea deal. We'll get to that. Each sister received double life sentences. This sentence was, was criticized as too severe by a number of civil rights activists and prominent commentators on the ground that the sisters had no previous record criminal record and the robbery netted no more are you sitting down folks than eleven dollars are you kidding me and there's so i mean there's so many issues with that story but then you have one of the accomplices who uh who, who basically pled guilty um he submitted to the to the governor in 1998 you know a few years after the crime happened he he did an affidavit saying that Scott's sisters were not involved in the robbery. They didn't even take part in the robbery. You gave the people who took part in the robbery, you gave them a plea deal so they could get out, but you give the two of them double life for saying, "Well, you orchestrated a robbery." You're talking this is this is that's, stealing lunch money on look, the schoolyard. Eleven dollars. Look, that's not even that's not even petty theft. Eleven dollars, according to statute. Now, here's here's what's crazy. This is where we talk about the injustice of the appellate court in this country. The convictions were upheld by the Mississippi Court of Appeals in 1996. The U.S. Supreme Court did not vote their petition for appeal in 1997, and an appeal to vacate, vacate the conviction in 1998. Mississippi Governor Haley Barber denied a petition for clemency in 2006. Can somebody tell me no one in the system saw anything wrong with a double life sentence blatantly wrong for an $11 profit? And you have the appeals court of Mississippi that says we upheld this conviction. You have the U.S. Supreme Court 
saying we are denying your petition. And you want to know why this country does not believe in justice anymore? And those three stages of checks and balances go, they do nothing. They have no business being on the bench. None. And it says no one was hurt during the robbery, and perhaps $11 was, was taken. And they said the sisters always insisted they had nothing to do with the robbery that occurred, uh, you know, during the, the uh, near the town of Forest, Mississippi on Christmas Eve in 93. And they said it was not even the kind of crime that causes a, a stir. Nobody got hurt. $11 was taken. $11. That, that, is, that is mind-numbing. I'm telling you. Double life. But you'll have a rapist at Stanford University rape and assault a woman horrifically. He could he gets six months. He gets six months. Are you miscarriage of justice? We need a new word for it. This says here the sisters served sixteen years. Sixteen years of their sentences. Jamie Scott required regular dialysis, got ill, became ill. A sister has offered to donate one of her kidneys to her. The Mississippi Department of Corrections believes the sisters no longer pose a threat to society. They Hold up. Pose a threat. I'm sorry. They could have bought a couple of cheeseburgers from Wendy's. Are you, Lisa, are you getting this in? Are you taking this in? No, I'm getting it all right. I don't understand this. Yeah, there is there's something badly, badly wrong with that picture. Seriously wrong with it. Because, I mean, and then, see, things like that, that you look at and say, how are people saying that we that things are, things are different, that things are changing? How can you say that when things like that are happening? Look, the next time you open your mouth, ladies and gentlemen of America, and think to say, we have the greatest justice system in the world. Yeah, right. Let someone close to you, a family member, a brother, a sister, maybe your mom, to ensure that you shut that down. If you call this type of injustice part of a system that is the greatest in the world, where in the world will we be ten years from now? And you, you, you think you look at this and you say, okay, well maybe that judge uh, was a buffoon, was an idiot, uh, had some issues, and and put down that sentence. Then the the next issue is that it was held up by the appellate court. How do you hold how do you hold that up and say that that sentence stands in place? And then the Supreme Court uh, doesn't do anything with it either. You're talking about double life sentences for eleven dollars. This is insane. It's unbelievable. I believe uh, we're getting ready. To, I believe to take a caller. Yeah, we have a caller in queue with a question. Okay. Well. Uh, Let's see, we have uh, Lawana from Colorado Springs. You're live. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Yes, thank you for taking my call. This country is insane. This 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 justice system, this United States is insane. We don't have a justice system. People might as well go ahead and deal with the fact the word justice is a joke in this country. I cannot believe what I am hearing. I cannot believe it. And I can't believe that they told, that they literally want to get that, that young man fired 
off of a show he's on because he took a stand and spoke truth. People like to, they, they just like to run around and treat everything like everything's fine. This country's doing great. We're the greatest country on, in, the, in the world. No, we are not. We are the sorriest country in the world. We are the most unfair country in the world. We are the most deceitful, underhanded country in the world. This is uncomprehendable here. How do you do this to people? How do you give somebody? A judge should never be able to allow to give somebody anything they feel. We're gonna. I'm gonna give it to you today. Two two life sentences for eleven bucks. This is phenomenal. I just cannot get it. In the first place, they shouldn't have had nothing for no $11. They should have never had nothing. Had that been two white sisters, that would have never happened. This country is sick, and then they want us to ignore and say, well, you playing the race car, you got it. We sure are playing it because you put it in the deck. This is just phenomenal. And that, poor, that young man that spoke, that man should be uh, should be. Uh, commended for what he said. It was so true. He was so passionate. He, it, he spoke 100% truth. And our pastor always says, when you throw, a, throw a, a rock into a pack of dogs, the only one that's going to holler is the one you hit. So anybody talking about him and saying he don't do that's because that's who you are. That's what it's all about. That you are that racist bigot. That's you. That's why you don't like what he said. He said the truth. People might as well learn to deal with truth because it's going nowhere. Thank you for taking my call. And thank you. Look, ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake about it. The caller hit it on the nail. And I'll tell you this. It is a tragedy. It is a tragedy what this country is dealing with. And when you hear it, okay, how many times you go and research, how many times you review you sit stunned that this happened. Right now, there was a young lady. We're going to tell you about another story of miscarriage of justice. You're not going to believe this one. A wrongfully convicted grandmother, 30 years for a crime she never committed. Let's go to that clip right now. final story tonight is about Mary Jones. She's in her 70s, but she just began a new life. She was released from prison this week after serving more than three decades behind bars for a crime she didn't commit. Ben Tracy has her story. I just knew in my spirit that it wasn't right. And I knew that God was going to open the doors, you know, in his time. 32 years ago, Mary Jones fell in love with a man named Mose Willis. Not knowing who he really was. He wasn't a good guy. No. Willis killed someone during a drug deal in an alley. Mary Jones drove him there. He forced you? Yes. At gunpoint? At gunpoint, yes. And you felt like had you not driven that car, he would have killed you? Yes. In 1981, she was convicted of first-degree murder and given a life sentence. But Mary Jones's case was reopened with help from Laura Donaldson and other law students at the University of Southern California. They argued Jones had been abused by her boyfriend and forced into the crime. On Monday, a judge ordered her released, and Jones's family released their joy. Her daughter, Denitra, spoke outside the courthouse. I'm excited. We got a lot of Mother Days to catch up on that are unconfined. 
Okay, thank you. Today she took her mom to the DMV to get an ID card. Mary Jones is now 74. In 32 years, what do you feel you missed? Well, I miss my grandbabies. I didn't get to hold them on my lap. I didn't get to see them crawl. So I missed all of that. I did. Behind bars, Jones started a Bible study and was known as Mother Mary. Former inmate Patricia Elder was there to welcome her when she was freed. You become like family when you're there for all that many years with, a per with people, you know. What did you learn about yourself in 32 years in there? I learned patience. I would imagine you have to in that situation. Yes, you do. You have to hurry up and wait. She waited 11,875 days to be free. Ben Tracy, CBS News, Los Angeles. And there you have it, uh, 32 years. Because someone held, that's a lifetime. That is a life pays and is held accountable well, and for that. This is, this is beyond sick because this woman was a victim of the crime herself. She is held at gunpoint and forced to be the driver to where this crime happened and then you lock her up for 30 something years for murder for murder how 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 did the prosecutor ever convince the judge the DA whoever to present this woman as a criminal I was held at gunpoint forced to drive this man who happens to be my boyfriend who's been beating me for however long he forced me to drive him there at gunpoint, and now you put her in prison for, for uh, murder. That makes absolutely no sense. That prosecutor, the judge, if there was a jury, they all – I mean, this is the type of thing that when people say America has the greatest judicial system on the planet, that is crap because this – I don't care. I don't care what type of judicial system you can be. You can be under a tyrant, absolutism, whatever you want to say. Nobody is going to charge this woman with a crime. This makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. I mean, when you look at it, and I, I, I empathize with the caller who called. Very passionate. This thing in this country, the miscarriage of justice. That you dangle people's lives like these are toy men or toy soldiers. And you do with them what you will. You, you take people's lives like they're Play-Doh. 32 years. This woman went in a young woman. She came out 74 years old. We have a problem, ladies and gentlemen, in this country. And we need to deal with it. You people just loosely throw around the term miscarriage of justice. Miscarriage of justice. It's running rampant. And the numbers continue to rise. Cliff, Lisa, William, I sit here and I cannot help to mention the IRP6, who have sat in prison for years. Not because they committed a crime. Not because wrong was done. But because a judge decided, federal judge Christine Arguello decided, that she would 
implement the God complex in her courtroom. But what she didn't know, the ramifications, the repercussions, the pain inflicted on the lives of these men, their families, their children, miscarriage of justice does not do it justice, what this judge has done, what this prosecutor has done, and today, for the record, the Washington Post posted a story about this injustice. We implore you to go read that story. We're coming right back. Miscarriage of justice in America. We'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. I don't have to tell you about the challenges we face every day. That would be like preaching to the choir. Yeah. Today you have a chance to face the challenge of your risk for diabetes. My dad had diabetes and one in four U.S. adults are at risk, myself included. If you're older than 45 or African-American, that risk increases. So here's a chance to ask yourself, what can I do? Talk to your doctor about getting screened and know what your options are. Learn more at AskScreenKnow.com. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration we spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation, costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. And 
welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight has been no exception, as we have searched for answers to the miscarriage of justice running rampant in America. These are troubling accounts. We've had two stories we've talked about, and I can tell you, you could hear a pin drop in this studio tonight as we listen to the horrific acts of our judicial system against against its citizens that seems to be on an upward climb. And uh, tonight we will continue uh, to discuss that issue. Uh, And uh, we are very happy and pleased. uh, Joining us right now on the phone to get involved in this discussion, Robert Blagojevich, joining us, a friend of AJC Radio. And uh, we believe uh, he was on the the show with us, uh, the author of Fundraiser A. He joins us now to give his thoughts. Uh, Robert, how are you? Well, Mod, I'm just fine. I I appreciate you taking my call. And I would like to say to your audience that uh, you very graciously invited me to speak to your group there in Colorado Springs. And I was extremely impressed by the passion, the story, and uh, the objectives of a just cause. And I listened during the break uh, a request for contributions to your nonprofit. And let me just say that I'm a believer and made a contribution after I left Colorado Springs, believing in the good work that you all are doing, you, uh, Cliff, and others. Uh, just very impressive. And as I said, I'm, I'm on board with you guys in any way that I can help. So thanks for taking my call. Oh, no, Robert, and the feeling is mutual. We thank you. Consider your family, and uh, together we fight this fight, uh, and we appreciate you again for, t- again for taking some moments. We enjoyed having you. Had an impact on that Let's Talk event, and I uh, look forward to definitely uh, future endeavors with you. Uh, Robert, let's go into the conversation now. As you've heard what we're talking about here tonight, the, the tragedies of what we're hearing in our system, you being a victim of a system that has gone bad. Uh, if I can get your thoughts and your perception, Robert, of what you've heard tonight, and what are we going to do to get this problem fixed? Yeah, I, I was I listened to on the tail end of one and the full story of the the other, where the the, the defendant got thirty two years uh, for something that clearly she had not committed. Um, is very very alarming and troubling, and sadly. Uh, as we listen to these stories, Lamont, the thing that just strikes me is there's a failure to follow common sense. Our judicial system is, as I have observed through my experience in the federal system, is a broken system. It is very skewed in terms of prosecutorial overreach, and when someone is, is indicted, the chances are that you're going to be convicted by prosecutors who are really sadly from my experience, not concerned so much about justice as they're supposed to be, more concerned about winning and applying uh, penalties on people that are just over the top. And, yes, it is a very scary thing. And, and Robert, when we, you know, Cliff alluded to the story, I'm sure you're following the Freddie Gray uh, case where they have gone to a bench trial versus a jury trial, and those officers, three of them, have been acquitted. So you would think it would be more a more pressing matter if you go before a judge who took an oath to uphold the law that justice somewhere would prevail. And in this case, 
Once the first judge in the bench trial found not guilty, the other ones jumped on board and said, well, we're not going to go with a jury trial. And I think it goes to your point, Robert. Most juries, you would think, have, a, have an idea of common sense. You would think the judge who oversees proceedings would also have a little bit of common sense. And now we're looking, I can tell you right now, if all of those officers get off with the death of Freddie Gray, you will see mayhem in the streets of Baltimore again. And then you want the pundits on TV to come on and say, what are these, what's wrong with these people? What's going on? What's wrong? Injustice. Your thoughts on that, Robert? Yeah, sadly, uh, I think you've got a point uh, related to how the public might react if the judge, who, as I understand, um, is an African American judge who is listening to the to the case, both prosecutorial and defense, has concluded that you know these defendants so far uh, did not uh, break the law. But I do uh, accept the fact that there is frustration in the community, not just the African-American community, but America at large uh, with our justice system. Uh, I can, in looking at how the system works at the federal level, uh, 96% of the people who are prosecuted are convicted. The reason that is, is the majority of them end up pleading, getting a plea deal that ultimately for many of them, who are innocent, they make the choice between two bad choices, either going to prison uh, with a more severe penalty if you're on trial, taking that risk, or taking a plea agreement and cutting whatever the deal is. There are some estimates as high as 20,000 innocent people in federal in prisons today pled guilty, even though they were innocent, to avoid going to trial because they were afraid either one, they didn't have the money or two, didn't trust the system to adjudicate them. And so the whole overall, whether it be Baltimore, whether it be uh, in California, whether in my case in the, in the federal courts in, in Chicago, uh, there is a system that does not serve the people. I would also submit another thing here, Lamont, it's, they may not be on track with what you've asked me, but, I've done some research, and if you look at the percentage of lawyers in Congress, they represent 90, 39% of the, our legislators are lawyers. The lawyers in the population of the United States are less than a half a percent of the population. And so you have a disproportionate representation in Congress of lawyers who, unfortunately, are legislating laws that are vague that are easy for prosecutors to manipulate to get convictions that to me is very troublesome because there's no end in sight. There are over 5,000 federal laws with criminal penalties that the average American doesn't even know exists. So theoretically, we are breaking, according to one civil libertarian, Harvey Silverglade, we commit three felonies a day unwittingly, not knowing that we're doing it because we've got laws that are proliferating. And so that is my concern, what we can do to reform the existing system so that these injustices that are now you're talking about and your audience is sharing in can maybe be headed off. Because I do agree uh, with comments earlier. We do not have the best criminal justice system in the world, and we're arrogant to expound that uh, because there's an ignorance that 
that would it be implied in that because our system is broken and it only serves to me the powers that be. And Robert, I think that, you know, um, to your point, the broken system is not, I mean, it's not going to fix itself first off. And with the fact that you have uh, this immunity for prosecutors, for judges, Mm -hmm. when they go out and, and, and I mean, how how is there a law and and you know i ask that rhetorically because i understand the judges and the prosecutors put it in place for themselves that as long as i'm doing my job i can lie to the defendant about evidence that i have uh, as a prosecutor i can lie to witnesses as a interrogator such as a fbi agent i can do whatever it takes basically to get my conviction but then the creed of a prosecutor is supposed to be about justice. That is and, – and we have found from, uh, from our experience, from our research, and I'm sure you uh, – I know that you know now that a prosecutor's main goal is not seeking justice. It is about getting a conviction. And with that stance being taken by, uh, you know, as some people say, the most powerful piece of the judicial process, the prosecutor – because they can stack on charges, they can request sentences, they can get people to plea out. They play a serious role in how destroyed the justice system of America is. It is, it is ludicrous to think that the American people are going to get justice when the people who are meeting out the justice, when their goal is not justice but prosecution, convictions. That is what they're looking at. And I've said it before. There is only one thing in – you know. I'll say in our solar system that has a 99% uh, percent success rate, and that is the sun rising every day. There's an eclipse every once in a while, so the sun will rise 99% of the time. You'll see sunlight. A prosecutor, there is no system on the planet Earth that is so perfect that its success rate is in the 90s. Do you, if, if that were the case and they implemented that type of process, you know how many systems would be fixed, how many, ta- how much taxpayer money could be saved, but it's not because the system is so perfect, because it's so good, but it, but it is because of the misconduct, it is because of the abuse that happens first from the prosecutor and also the judges who should take the responsibility to ensure that it doesn't happen, but they turn a, uh, a blind eye and allow it to happen themselves because a lot of them have been former prosecutors themselves. I'm totally, I'm totally aligned with everything that you've said. And, you know, your show and other shows like yours are, are really at the heart of how we can affect change. It really starts with the local level. Who are the people that we elect to office? Do they have a pro-prosecution or pro-justice stance? Because pro-prosecution and putting people in prison does not equal justice. We need That's people right. who are open-minded, who are open-minded and can deal with facts. And, and so it's, it's up to us, uh, the citizens with the right to vote, to cast votes for representation in our state, local, federal government that, ha- that we give them the mandate to change the system. That is a gargantuan task. But, again, these stats that I mentioned earlier on, 39% of the people in, in the Congress, Senate, and the House are lawyers. They, they make laws that are pro-prosecution, and they also support what you just referenced, sovereign immunity. So if you're a federal employee, whether you're in the IRS, the Justice Department, the EPA, it doesn't matter. If you, quote, screw up, 
much like if you and I in the private sector messed up, there would be accountability one way or another. Your, your pay might be docked. You may lose your job. You may be assigned to some other job. If you're a federal employee who is our employee de facto because we pay the taxes to pay for them, they should be held to a much higher standard, but there is no system there to hold them accountable. And the key there is sovereign immunity. That really needs to be challenged uh, by our legislators in Washington to uh, give us, the average American here, a voice against oppressive, overreaching, overzealous prosecutions that go on all the time. Well, Robert, that's uh, well-spoken. Uh, out of respect, uh, Robert, I know you you said you had some things going on this evening. We don't want to uh, uh, keep you longer uh, than we have to. Your insight, your perception is exceptional and very informative to our listeners. We don't want to hold you. I want to let you get back to what you told me you were working on. Thank you so much, unless you want to stay with us, or do we need to go ahead and let you go and catch up another time? Well, I- I I appreciate uh, the invitation, always available. Uh, If you can just let me go tonight, I'd be grateful. But uh, it's it's a pleasure being affiliated with you and your team. Thank you, Robert, and it's been a pleasure tonight. You've been very informative to our listeners. Have a safe evening, and uh, we'll be talking to you soon, Robert. Thank you. Okay, folks, there you have it, Robert Blagojevich. Uh, I'll tell you what, uh, doing some pretty good things, and chiming in, William, on some important key points of injustice uh, in this country. I, I believe if, if it's informative to us, it has to be informative to the American people that's, that's true. Uh, listening. That's true. I mean, he brought up one, one really good point that I thought, at least the point that stuck with me. He talked about, you know, getting involved locally and understanding if these guys, if your local officials are all about the prosecu- you know, prosecuting, or are they about justice? You know, what's, the, what's their agenda? And so then you really understand what you're going to, what you're up against, what you're facing. If your local, a local system, a local system of government is about the putting bodies in prison, which most of them are, then you need to be aware of that. And I think that I think that's that was the point of what he said. We as citizens need to be aware of that because that's what's going to happen. That's what's happening around us. That's what's going to happen to our families. Those are the ones that are going to impact our homes our families, our neighbors, and if they're about this kind of business, like we've seen in, in the cases we've covered, we've seen with IRP-6, we've seen we've seen that, and, and especially here in Colorado, we've covered it before, where well, I think it was Jefferson County actually offered bonuses if they meet their conviction goals. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's sad. Well, that was, was a sad say, time. Uh, I'm looking at that article that you're talking about with uh, D.A. Uh, Chambers, Carol Chambers, she offers bonuses for prosecutors who hit conviction targets. Now, yeah, that look on your face, William, if, if the audience could see your face. I mean, that that is sick. You, the more the more convictions you get, the more money I'll give you. It said the threshold for assistant DA to earn an average of $1,100 reward. I mean, they're calling this a reward. You participate in at least five trials during the year with a 70% uh, felony conviction. It says uh, Chambers, whose office handles prosecutions of Rappahoe, Douglas, Elbert, and Lincoln County, says she set up the standard to encourage her team to meet minimum requirements in line with statistics and comparable jurisdictions. Wow. And she said it's hard to find performance standards by which to measure trial attorneys. 
This is the standard I think best meets the need to have a performance standard that attorneys know and can be aware of and that, the, and, the, and that does not in any way encourage any outcome in any specific case. Are you kidding me? Uh, yes. That. Well, look, I'll tell you right now, folks, I have a very long record in sales. When the judicial system turns into a sales board of convictions, when I worked in sales, you had a goal to hit every month. What motivated you was the bonus. That bonus. That means I came in, I set up demonstrations, I came in, sometimes worked 12-hour days for one reason, I need that bonus. When you incorporate salesmanship in the judicial process of conviction, you have lost your Mine. But but Lamont, you what what we're really talking about here? What this is just a glimpse in the fact that our our state and local government has become a business. Because when you look at this, they're offering incentives, incentives, incentives. I mean, this is like I mean we're we're here in the midst of of NBA free free agency and contracts, and they're incentive laden contracts and bonuses. And this, performance. Is, this is what the uh, public defenders say. They said they worry that a prosecutor just shy of the mark might be tempted to drive a harder bargain to force a case to trial to gain the bonus rather than the end well the interest of justice and what that says is wait a minute we're going to add 30 years if you don't plead me and my family's got vacation next That's week we i need that. that check yes i'm going to the bahamas let me tell you right now folks that may seem as comical that is the most sick approach we have lost our way america has lost her way and the fact that that is even publicly published you again this is not doing something in the closet or doing something behind closed doors you blatantly hold your head in arrogance and pronounce this type of foolishness and injustice that's right and it's and this is public Folks, we're coming right back on the other side of the break. Coming up, we're going to go to, you remember Joyce Ann Brown, the lady from Texas who was convicted wrongfully and passed away shortly after, some years after her release. She was on our program. We're going to play a clip of her sharing why she stood for justice. Brian Banks' story, the young football player posed for the NFL. The miscarriage of justice, a prosecution gone bad. That story and much more as we continue miscarriage of justice on America's streets. We're coming right back. Ladies and gentlemen, this serves as a personal invitation to you. Let's Talk kicks off July 12th at 7 p.m. at 451 Winshine Place. The new acclaimed series on A&E, 60 Days In, will be the topic. Featuring Sheriff Jamie Knoll talking about the impact this new series is having, not only around the nation, but in his personal life. Join us Tuesday, July 12th at 7 p.m. For further information, call 855 529 4252, extension 710. We'll see you then. I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize your message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. 
I can boost your bottom line. I can add value to your workplace. I could be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talents and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? You can remember that it works. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. I stand for equality. I stand for individuality. I stand for peace. I stand for diversity. I stand for dignity. I stand for respect. I stand for fairness. disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career. Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, William Williams, and the entire AJC radio team tonight. As we tackle miscarriage of justice in America, and I'll tell you what, uh, Cliff, sounds like we're going to need a part two to this program because there are so many stories uh, out here that we need to bring uh, to the American people. And as we talk about that, we got a couple of folks I told you we're going to talk about here momentarily. Uh, and Joyce Ann Brown was a compelling woman, Cliff, uh, that appeared on this program with a sincere heart uh, to do something. Uh, with her wrongful conviction, spending time in prison. We did an interview. We're going to bring the folks a little bit uh, uh, of that interview and what she said. She passed away, and we did a very special honorary show for her, uh, remembering her and her. But it's how sad it is that life and time is so precious. We don't know what time we have. And to be locked up wrongfully and to get out, Not and look at the time you lost, and now your number is up where it's time to... Uh, to leave this world and to leave after such a cloud and after such a horrible situation, Cliff, 
gives you a very bad feeling of why it's so important that change happen in this situation. That's right. That, that is why justice should be sought rather than conviction, because you look at this is a fallout. This is this is what happens when a person, person is wrongfully convicted. Uh, they live their life in, in conditions behind bars that are, uh, you know, tragic. And then they get out, and shortly thereafter, their life is over. Their family has lost all kinds of time. There's so many repercussions to, uh, you know, wrongful convictions and incarceration. And it's just, it's just sad. But, you know, she did get to spend the last part of her life with her family uh, free. So we are grateful for that. Well, let's, ladies and gentlemen, let's get ready to go to that clip uh, when we honored Joyce Ann Brown and said, bid her farewell. Let's hear what she had to say about the miscarriage of justice that she suffered. I was never going to say I was sorry. I was never going to show remorse. I didn't have a reason. And I certainly was not going to admit to a crime that I didn't commit. So after maybe five years, I started preparing my family Mm -hmm. that I might just simply have to come out in a pine box. I didn't want them coming down, telling, asking me, uh, talking about it, because there was no way that I was going to admit to a crime that I didn't commit. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. As you hear the last words, Uh, On this program of Joyce Ann Brown, we come to you tonight very saddened that Miss Brown has passed away at the tender age of 68. Joyce actually appeared on this program and told us her story and the remarkable battle of courage that it took for her to come back from a wrongful conviction. Joyce Ann Brown, a longtime advocate for people who were wrongfully in prison, She died early Saturday morning. Her daughter, Coquise Spencer, said her mother had suffered a massive heart attack and stroke on Tuesday. Brown was being treated at Methodist Charlton Medical Center in Dallas. Again, she was 68 years old. Brown spent more than nine years in prison on an aggravated robbery conviction that was later overturned and eventually erased from her record. She founded the prisoner advocacy group MASS, Mothers, Fathers for the Advancement of Social Systems. She was an assistant for a friend of Dallas County Commissioner John Wiley Price. She also wrote a book called Justice Denied and was profiled by the television show 60 Minutes. To our friend Joyce Ann Brown, we bid you farewell. And I can assure you, The legacy of Joyce Brown will continue. Goodbye, our dear friend, from all the staff and the AJC radio team. We sadly say goodbye. Rest in peace, Joyce Ann Brown. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. What a sad moment. Brings the memories back um, of a life that so quickly gone. Uh, William Lisa Cliff, my heart saddens when I hear that for one reason. And I just said it, Cliff, right before we played her clip. 
and you heard the passion in her voice. I wasn't going to admit to anything that I didn't do. Nine years of her life. Think about the nine years, the nine holidays, the Mother's Day, the Christmases, the birthdays, the everything that, that we treasure in this life taken from her and countless thousands. And that, that clip just brought a lot of memories back as we talked to her. A very, uh, Lisa, good friend to us, to AJC Radio, uh, felt very moved uh, that we honored her and, and, and carried, told her story. And when you hear that, it really troubles me again. How many other people, the woman who just did 32 years, we played her clip earlier, 74 years old. We don't know how much time that lady has left. And she said, I didn't get to hug my grandbabies. I didn't get to play with these. Lisa, help me here. I don't think I can, Lamont. It's very, it's very, it's very sad. It's very sad to hear these things and to to see the way these people's lives have gone. And it's so uncalled for, so unnecessary. No one should have to endure that. I mean, if you're there, if you're locked up for one day when you didn't do anything wrong, if you were there a day too long, it's just too much. And no one should have to endure that. I mean, you've got these people who have, who are getting up, up there in years. They don't have a lot of time left. And you're, they're, they're, most of their final years are being taken from them because they're being inc- incarcerated for no reason. And I think it's just a horribly, horribly sad situation. No, absolutely, Lisa. And, and uh, again, uh, that just brought a lot of memories rushing back to me. And we're grateful for uh, Joyce and Brown, what she was able to accomplish once she was released. And again, folks, again, the miscarriage of justice. Uh, again, running rapid in America, and I think we're definitely going to do a part two of this show um, because we need to discuss further uh, these issues and, and definitely make America aware. I said earlier uh, in the program regarding a writing, a release today by the Washington Post uh, who got involved with the tragedy, the injustice of the IRP-6, the wrongful conviction of these men, and we have a very special surprise for you tonight as we talk about the RP6 and that miscarriage of justice. And William, we talk about the RP6 for one reason. They were done horribly wrong in a system that failed them. And H. Lee Sarakin did a play called The Race Card Face Up. And we have a very special surprise. One of the actors joining us tonight. And let's bring him on and surprise our folks, Cliff. Yes, we have uh, Mark Christopher Lawrence, who is, uh, he played Gary Walker. And uh, Mr. Lawrence, you're live. Thank you for being with us tonight. Uh, thank you so much for having me. And Mr. Lawrence, a pleasure. I can tell you right now, uh, uh, after watching that dramatization of how you did, uh, it's too bad I couldn't give you a big hug right there for the outstanding performance, man, that you put on. We were so moved as a family, as a uh, advocacy group, you name it. What an outstanding job. And uh, I wasn't sure if have you heard that about the Washington Post story releasing today online in the uh, papers tomorrow. Yes, I, I read that uh, this morning. Um, yeah, and, and first of all, just, you know, thank you. I, I, I was just blessed and, and um, you know, welcomed the opportunity to uh, read that piece and um and be a part of that, um, you know, just just as you guys are touched by the reading, I, I, I'm touched by the story 
and outraged and everything, you know. So, so uh, I think uh, I'm 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 mentally vested into this project uh, to to help move this thing along. I mean, it's 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 terrible that these guys are going through this. It's absolutely incredible. And question for you, uh, and we know that uh, Judge H. Lee Sarakin was moved in a way that prompted him to do something to speak out. When you first read the script of Gary, uh, tell us what you went through there a little bit emotionally as you read it. Did you think, man, is, is this real? Is this something that is, it's a, is this happening in America? What were your thoughts when you read that? Well, here's the thing. I, I had done a, uh, another reading for um, uh, Jeb Serkin, um a couple of years ago, and so I knew that his his um, approach to writing came from real life. So as I read it, you know, my heart just felt empty. You know, because I, I I I couldn't imagine being in that position. The, the, you know, feeling, as I read through, I, I felt the hopelessness. I felt the, the betrayal of the system. Wow. That's, that's, that's huge. Uh, I'll tell you what. We are moved. We are grateful. We are forever, uh, Mr. Lawrence, in your debt for what you've done. We salute your work and what you're doing. We wanted to take a few minutes to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Uh, for what you have done. And we believe this is just getting started uh, with the release of that story. Uh, just tell all your friends, I'm, I'm sure you have already, uh, to go out there, sign our petition as we push to bring these men home to their families. And I'll tell you what, I have never seen such a real portrayal of a situation as you and those actors gave. I, I mean, and you know what, Mr. Lawrence, when we go back and watch it, I can go back and play that trailer or play that play that uh, dramatization and it's the same impact every time i turn it on it's not like what mm. i've already seen it's like you're it's like you're listening to it for the first time again uh that takes real work on, on your part and what you folks did it it, it it must be saluted and we salute you uh here on ajc radio thank you uh you, you know i, I mean you, you, the hat has has to go off the nod has to go to judge Sarakin. uh just his execution of of uh, the script was was awesome, and um, you know he made you feel as an actor. He made you feel uh, what was going on, and so it was really easy to to bring it to life. I mean, in a way, like you know, August Wilson is clearly my favorite playwright. Um, and August, I always say when I'm when I'm dealing with an August script, if you say the words that are there. You are eighty percent home, and um, no, that's how I felt with this with this piece with with uh, Judge Serafin's piece. No, and we we do know, uh, Mr. Lawrence, that you are a busy man uh, doing some things out there. And and please feel free if you ever need a platform, uh, anything uh, from AJC Radio or Just Calls, uh, the RP Six families, uh, we are here uh, in support of you. Uh, and we just thought, you know what, we ha you know, it'd be good if you were sitting right here in the studio but we know time constraints and and projects and things sometimes make that a little bit difficult but the fact that you took mm -hmm. time out of your schedule tonight mr lawrence means volumes it speaks volumes to us 
about your commitment and your dedication to this project and seeing this through uh, for these six men. We appreciate you so very, very much. And uh, just wanted again to say thank you. We, we want to be respectful of your time. Uh, was there anything else you wanted yeah. to add? Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just wanted to say that 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 you know, I, I, as I said before, I'm 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 just blessed and and overwhelmed by the opportunity to do this, um, and know that that I've been telling everybody about it. I've been pushing it out on Twitter and Facebook, and we'll continue to do that and continue to get people to share it. Um, uh, I, I think I think uh, in this country, you know, we we have sort of settled into a a, a thing where. You know, people think that racism is 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 dead and gone, but, but I tell you right now, it's alive and well. And yes, uh, the sooner that 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 we deal with that issue, and and let people know that hey, uh, uh, we are here to stay. We <laughs> this is our home too. Absolutely. So, uh, so you know, we want to be treated the same way as everybody else. And 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 I think I think getting the message out about this is so important in that process. And let me ask you one question, Ms. Lawrence, before I let you go. Uh, we were talking about mm-hmm. on the show the controversy, uh, if you want to call it that, with just actor Jesse Williams uh, came on the BET Awards, was honored for the Humanitarian Award. I don't know if you ever actually heard his comments. Uh, he spoke some loud words to America, and they are looking to have him fired off of Grey's Anatomy, stating that he is bringing uh, racism to America. And things and these things, but before you answer that, uh, Mr. Lawrence, we got a caller that may have a question for you. So hang in there with us. Yes, we uh, sure. have a caller. Uh, the truth is on. Uh, you have a comment for Mr. Lawrence. You're live. Yeah, Mr. Lawrence, um, I wanted to come on here because I'm the mother of David Banks and mother-in-law to Gary Walker. Uh, I am so grateful for what you did for those men and for our our family, all of them are special to us. And as you say, racism is alive and well in this country. It is far from having uh, for us to put anything in the background and say it doesn't exist anymore. It exists every day. And we that are black in this country, we experience it in some form, some way, every day, just going about our regular uh, duties every day. And I want to say thank you when we watch that. For all the guys that that played a part in this, please give them uh, our thanks for what they did. It was so touching and so heart-rending. Uh, it was impossible for you to portray this to this extent and not feel what you were actually uh, are portraying to the public, and I tell you, we shall never forget you, and we hope that one day there will be a chance to cross paths and shake hands with you and tell you again, and the guys will too, because we know without a doubt, if you do what's right, right's going to win out, even though sometimes it may seem difficult and wrong, but if you keep doing right, right wins, and so hopefully they'll get a chance to get with you guys at some place, somewhere, but in, in the meantime, let them know how much the guys appreciate it, and we as a family will never be have enough words to say thank you and for and for just giving your service, even without one dollar. We say thank you from the bottom of our hearts, and please pass this on to the others that were on the show. Yes, ma'am, I will absolutely do that. Um, you know, I spoke with Olivia Hodges about this project before. Um, we actually did the taping of it, and you know, I said to her, you know, I'm, I'm a stand-up comedian as well, 
And so if, if ever you guys need anything, if you, if you need to do a fundraiser or whatever, I'm willing to come and, and, and stand up for these guys. So let's, whatever you need, you know, I'm at your disposal. Oh yeah. And we appreciate that so very much. And, uh, uh, we're excited uh, about the, what's going on, what's going forward. The, again, the story released today. Uh, and, Mr. Lawrence, uh, uh, thank you again for joining us tonight. Again, we're going we're to be respectful of your time so we don't hold you any longer. Uh, thank you so much for your service and your work and what you're doing. Uh, we salute you at the highest level of honor tonight on our program. Thank you so much. Again, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. Okay, take care and have a good night, folks. This is a humdinger, folks, uh, of this program. Uh, Cliff, you hear the emotion from the mother of David Banks, uh, mother-in-law of Gary Walker, all these men. Uh, This is real. These are real lives here, and uh, this is something else. What a perfect opportunity as we talk about the issue that brought them to the point where they are today, and that's a miscarriage of justice. When you hear... Uh, the caller, the emotion, what runs through you? Well, I mean, you know, uh, the the caller sees that, uh, you know, that, and I mean, it, it leaves you uh, kind of awestruck because here you have uh, Mr. Lawrence, Mark Christopher Lawrence, who played one of the uh, IRP6 in the play, and, and for what he says that, you know, he he felt, you know, what's going on with this case, and for that, I mean, it leaves you awestruck because there's so many there's so many people that you know paths that we've run by who, uh, you know, didn't feel it, didn't understand, but you know, thanks to uh, Judge H. Lee Serkin for finding people like Mark Christopher Lawrence who really feel what's going on in this case. No, absolutely. And we're going to be talking more about that during the What You Didn't Know part of the RP6 uh, special coverage on the Wall Street, uh, excuse me, uh, Washington Post uh, writing that released today online uh, will actually be releasing in papers across this country uh, tomorrow. The Washington Post, we're going to get into that. Uh, We're coming back on the other side of this break. A couple of more issues and stories regarding miscarriages of justice. You don't want to miss it. Folks, hang in there as we continue this coverage of the miscarriage of justice shaking a nation. We'll be right back. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experienced some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff? But he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime 
that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. Odds of becoming an astronaut, 1 in 13,200,000. Odds of being struck by lightning, 1 in 576,000. Odds of dating a supermodel, 1 in 88,000. Odds of bowling a perfect game, 1 in 11,500. Odds of being trapped in an elevator, 1 in 24,528. Odds of catching a ball at a major league game, 1 in 563. Odds of an injury from shaving, 1 in 6,585. Odds of tripping while texting, 1 in 10. Odds of getting cancer in your lifetime, 1 in 2 men, 1 in 3 women. It's up to us to change the odds for our generation. For the ones we love. For our future. If you don't like the odds, stand up. Stand up to cancer. You're on your way to meet up with friends, but you can't seem to get anywhere quickly. You don't want your friends to be annoyed, so you text. You're on your way. Five seconds is the average time your eyes are off the road while texting while driving. Make sure you get where you're going. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is Lamont Banks with AJC Radio, bringing the message of justice all around the world. And tonight, we deal with some very, very troubling issues. On one point, it's been a bittersweet cliff, as we've talked about miscarriage of justice. uh, But we've had the honor uh, of having Mark Christopher Lawrence, uh, the actor who played Gary Walker uh, of the RP6, in the play written by... Federal retired judge H. Lee Sarakin, the race card face-up. We're going to get into that a little bit later in the program uh, as we get ready to get prepared for what you didn't know about the IRP6 story. And uh, Cliff, I'll tell you, this has been a show of many emotions, and we continue to deal with that even right now. Absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, it really just bears out that, uh, you know, there's people out there who really have, you know, the... Uh, have at heart the yes. case of the RP6. Yep. And, you know, like I said before, there's been a lot of people who haven't, uh, you know, but it's appreciated that we have the actors who uh, helped out Judge H. Lee Serkin 
and uh, as well as a reporter with the Washington Post who has taken this case up. That's huge, folks. And go get your copy of the Washington Post wherever you are in the country. Uh, read that story. Tell everybody about it. Uh, uh, there are people that are getting involved with this story, and we, uh, we're going to get into that. Uh, Tom Jackman, uh, the writer, uh, wrote that article. Awesome. Uh, and uh, we've heard from uh, some members on Capitol Hill uh, that are getting involved in reading that story, and they have major uh, positive reviews on that story, and it's just getting started. Uh, folks, as we get back into the miscarriage of justice, before we get into the IRP6 issue, uh, I'll tell you right now, Brian Banks, uh, William, we were talking about that, uh, 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 his, athletic, his athletic dreams of being in the NFL. Uh, we're going to play the clip of what happened to this man, the news report, and part one and part two, we're going to talk about it. We're going to get ready to go to what you didn't know about the IP6. The injustice that happened to this man, Cliff, William, Lisa, cut every dream that he had to play in the NFL because they took seven, six, seven years of his life all on a wrongful conviction. I'm going to let you hear the story right now. A little more than a decade ago, Brian Banks was a star linebacker at Polytech High School in Long Beach, California, a well-known football powerhouse that sent dozens of players to the National Football League. He was being recruited by the best college teams in the nation, dreaming of an NFL career of his own. But then, in the course of a single afternoon, his life changed forever. And eventually, the 17-year-old landed in Chino State Penitentiary for raping and kidnapping a female classmate. However, even though he pled no contest, we now know that Brian was innocent. It's a story that 60 Minutes has been following for close to a year. And as you're about to hear, almost nothing about Brian Banks' story, beginning, middle, or end, is what you'd expect. The story will continue in a moment. Last May, like every other team in the National Football League, the Seattle Seahawks held a spring mini training camp for players with hopes of making the roster in the fall. Go, quick, 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 time. Let's go. Amid the many long shots, one player in the number 43 jersey stood out because Brian Banks had not played organized football in 10 years. To have my name on the back of this jersey, to be a part of this team for a day, is, it's more than I could ever imagine. The last time Brian played football, he was in high school, and he was so good that as a sophomore, scouts from USC had spotted him at a camp, and soon the team's head coach, Pete Carroll, got in touch. I received a phone call from Coach Carroll, uh, and, you know, we're, we're offering you a chance to come play for us. And I gave him a verbal agreement, and I'd love to. Everything seemed to be lining up for Brian, until one day at school, he was hanging out with a girl he'd known for years. Her name was Juanetta Gibson. What happened next changed the course of Brian Banks' life forever. We made our way to this area and pretty much began making out. Um, you know, we kissed, we touched, but we never had sex. No argument? No, no argument. Uh, we actually ended on a good note where, you know, I was making jokes and, and, you know, she smiled and everything just seemed normal. Everything seemed okay. But it wasn't. By the end of the day, Brian Banks was sitting in jail, charged with two counts of forcible rape and kidnapping Juanetta Gibson. 
He was kicked off the football team and expelled from school, with all hope of a scholarship and NFL career suddenly vanished. And wow, man. And, and ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake, Brian Banks, William Cliff Lisa on the football team, ready to go forward with his life. He gets in a situation with a young girl, uh, dealing with, again, he said no sex occurred here, simply high school stuff. Uh, and what prompted someone to simply take that situation? And lie about it. But the difference here, I'm going to play you part two of that interview. He catches this young lady in a direct lie and an admission of guilt. Let's see what she said. Then last year came a turn he never could have expected. When one day, searching for work online, he got a friend request on his Facebook page. It was Juanetta Gibson the same woman who had accused him of raping her. I immediately just I froze. And um, I didn't accept the request. Instead, I sent a, a message to her. And my message asked her, why would you, why would you friend request me? And um, she replied back that she was hoping that we could allow bygones to be bygones. She was really adamant about wanting to see me and wanting to hang out. It wasn't about wanting to help. It was more of wanting to reconnect. Hang out. Yeah. What you been up to? What are you doing tonight? What are you doing tomorrow? Brian was in disbelief, but he also knew instantly what kind of opportunity this might be. And with the help of her friend's father, a private investigator, they set up a meeting with hidden cameras. You were surprised that she showed up? Very much surprised. Mine was a 23-15-year-old. With the cameras rolling, Brian asked her for help in getting exonerated. And here's how she responded. I mean, I would go through with helping you, but it's like, at the same time, all that money they gave us, I mean, gave me, I don't want to have to pay it back. All that, because that will take a long time. Though Juanetta admitted to not wanting to give back the money she won in her civil lawsuit against the school, she was willing to meet a second time. And it was then that Brian and the investigator worked to get the ultimate admission on tape. He's accused of rape. He's accused of kidnapping. Yeah. And I need to just hear it from you that those things, and I'll put it all on a piece of paper, and then I'll meet up with you, and we can go from there. So this thing on his bed now? Yeah, and so I can. He's a rape you. No, he did not. He kidnapped you. Got it. The truth is out. The truth is out. Um, <laughs> I honestly wanted to just stand up and walk out of there. There was nothing else to talk about. Brian Banks, case number NA And with the help of the California Innocence Project, Brian took the taped confession to the district attorney's office, who viewed the new evidence, met with Juanetta Gibson, and then agreed to recommend to the judge that Brian be exonerated. The people's motion to dismiss this case pursuant to Section 1385. At that moment, a 10-year nightmare was over. Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, for that big sigh. Wow, wow, 
in WOW. And if you saw the video of Brian Banks in the courtroom, he was bowed over, tears pouring down his face as the nightmare ended. And how long did he spend in jail? I believe it was six years, but I believe he had an ankle monitor uh, as well. I think he was on probation of some sort uh, or monitored uh, type of supervision. And now the girl admits that she lied. This never happened. Why did she not get uh, prosecuted and go to prison for, for, for what she did? She destroyed this young man's life, his reputation, his, uh, his future. I mean, that is the part of the so-called justice system that you look at and you say, how can, how can, how can this young man, how can he ever get justice? I mean, you're talking about an NFL career demolished. And couldn't his, get back. Right, couldn't get back. His reputation with uh, not only his friends but his family for that amount of time until she came up with that confession that, okay, I'm a convicted rapist. And the bottom line is a miscarriage of justice happened. Mm-hmm. And this, these are the ramifications and repercussions of that type of miscarriage of justice. Lisa? This just makes my very, very inside sick because it's it's so uncalled for. This man loses all this all this time, all these things that he would have had in his life. He lost so much because somebody decided to tell a lie for absolutely no reason. She got paid, really. But I'm trying to understand. See, that's the kind of thing that makes people not believe folks when they come in and say something happened to them. Exactly. Because there's so many people that come in and tell lies. How do you know if when the next one comes in who actually was raped, who was actually attacked, they're going to look at it like, yeah, sure you were. Just like the last one was, right? That's why they do that because you, people are going in there telling lies and ruining people's lives. If you do that to somebody's life, somebody, something should happen. There should be some kind of repercussions. That comes back on a person who does that to another person's life. Well, that's the bottom line. And apparently a million dollars was given uh, that she won in civil litigation from the school. Did you just say a million dollars? A million dollars. A million and a half. And uh, this, is, this is why you have uh, women uh, lying, uh, going and saying, oh, he hit me. or he, And don't make no mistake about it. There are real issues Real domestic violence issues out there, real sexual assault issues out there. We make no, we don't make light of that in any way. But tonight we deal with the miscarriage of justice from false testimony to blatant lies in this case uh, with Brian Banks that cost a lot. Folks, uh, you can learn more about this story, more about this show. Please tell your friends to go out and listen. Uh, uh, we will be getting together with the team here of how we do part two, Lisa. Uh, of this show. There's too much more information to cover. Uh, we're going to definitely take time to do that. Right now, we get ready for the IRP 6, and it's kind of a continuation of what we've talked about tonight the miscarriage of justice of six patriots of America. IRP 6, what you didn't know, starts right now. A just cause has found something very interesting. A playwright by Judge H. Lee Sarrigan about the RMP6. It starts right now. 
take a look. My name is David Banks, and I'm serving an 11-year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything. My business, my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom. My name is Gary Walker, and I'm serving a sentence of 11 years in the same prison. Just an aside, not only were the six of us all devout members of the same church, there was not a single criminal charge or conviction among any of us until these unbelievable events unfolded. My name is Clinton Stewart, and I'm serving a sentence of 10 years at the same prison in Colorado. It's fitting that we live, prayed, and worked together that we should end up dying together, because that is what prison is for us and our families. I am... Kendrick Barnes, and I am serving a seven-year sentence at the same prison in Colorado. I was the chief information officer at IRP Solutions, the name of our company. I testify. And then Gary objected. A Donnie Brooks broke out because Gary said our Fifth Amendment rights had been violated by compelling us to testify. The judge said she had not said anything of the kind, and we demanded the transcript. We were all absolutely unanimous in our verbatim version of what she had said. She denied production of the transcript for that day and at the time, some 200 pages, but assured us that they would be produced at the end of the day. Transcript of that particular conversation in the courtroom between us and the judge has never been produced. I am Demetrius Harper. And I'm serving a 10-year sentence at the same prison. And then in June of 2009, four years later, they finally got a grand jury to indict us. This time, they only called one witness, an FBI agent. And the old adage that a prosecutor can indict a ham sandwich was proven. This is a production that sets the bar and takes a sincere look at the RP6 story Judge H. Lee Serkin, retired federal judge, felt compelled to say something. We will not remain silent to see the full story, the full playwright of the RP6 tragedy. Go to YouTube, search the race card. You don't want to miss it. Some people think that business is a game. And what we have learned is that business actually is war. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. It's strange to me. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. What we have learned is that the RP6 story was supposed to be the American dream is an American nightmare. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, it became very clear that the court appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and 
it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over it. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send to. Is this happening in America? The American dream of the RP6 has turned into a nightmare. Crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. Ladies and gentlemen, go out to change.org. Sign the petition now. America's future depends on it. Ladies and gentlemen of America, what you didn't know about the RP6 story, breaking news tonight as the Washington Post releases the story of the RP6 online in papers everywhere tomorrow. And we talk about that tonight, Cliff, uh, of what compelled uh, this writer to take a moment and say this story needs to be heard. You know, when I was talking to the reporter, uh, one of the things that really stood out to me was, you know, he, uh, as I was telling him some of the details about what happened, you know, all the way up from the raid to the uh, IRP-6 being put in prison for four years, and he said, he said, this is making me sick to my stomach. You know, how how do things uh, like this? And, you know, he expressed that he had gone through the transcripts, he had looked at, uh, you know, the so-called evidence, and he's like, "Where, where's the, where is the crime? How, how did the prosecutor get this in front of a judge?" And that has been a question that has been asked of us several times. How did this get in front of a judge? Where was a crime at from anywhere? And you know, this is a, a reporter that has been covering, uh, you know, federal courts for a couple decades, and. Every every time somebody you know says that to me, where was the crime at? How did this go to court? How did a conviction come out? It just again gives you that sick feeling in the pit of your stomach that uh, you know here is the so-called best justice system in America, and all it continues to do is fail and fail and fail. And every people continue to ask the question, how did this happen? And yet uh, these men have been sitting in federal prison for for uh, four years, but. We do appreciate the Washington Post and the reporter for writing this story, for for getting another part of the story out from a, another angle, another perspective. Uh, it's very much appreciated. No, absolutely. And uh, Tom Jackman, uh, we salute him. He is the reporter yeah. uh, that wrote this story. And I'll tell you what, uh, Mr. Jackman, uh, again, as, as William, as, as, as Cliff stated, talking to him, felt sickened. There are people out here, uh, as Tom Jackman uh, feels, that same outrage is what we talked about earlier. There has to be outrage. 
enough for the Washington Post and Tom Jackman to say, let's get involved. And, uh, William, when you hear that, I'll tell you what, uh, who we're getting information in late this evening. Capitol Hill's taking note now. This thing is getting ready to get very serious. Uh, William, your thoughts? Well, I'm, 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 I mean, I'm excited. I mean, because the bottom line is you can't hide the truth. And, a bit, you know, Judge Sarakin realized, he, he said, listen, this story has to be told. And even though we've exhausted the appeals, I still have, um, you know, this conviction. I still have to take a stand for these guys uh, that, that there, was, there was an injustice here. They were wrongfully convicted. There was nothing wrong in the case records that he went through, and he went through it, you know, with a fine-tooth comb. Now we have the reporter here with, uh, with the Washington Post that's saying the same thing. He said, I've reviewed this information. I've looked at this case. I see no wrong here. If, if from the, on behalf of the guys, but I see if I, there's any wrong here, it's, 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 it's the court system. It's the system that failed them. Absolutely. Folks, we're going to be discussing this even further. The Washington Post, uh, written by Tom Jackman about the IRP-6, uh, and the title reads, Judge who freed Hurricane Carter now helping six imprisoned men, but only Obama can save them. Folks, look for it, share it, tweet it, Facebook, whatever you got to do, this story Needs to hit really strong around the globe. Uh, Perpetrators of justice, uh, those who are responsible for the wrongful conviction of these men. Lisa, who are they? They are U.S. Attorney John Walsh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra, Attorney Greg Goldberg, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hart, Federal Judge R. Brooke Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI Agent Robert Moen, Former Federal Agent John Epke, Former Federal Agent Gary Hilberry, Attorney Thomas Goodread, Attorney Clifford Barnard, Attorney Thomas Richard, Attorney Robert Berger, Attorney Mitchell Baker, Attorney Boston, Boston Stanton Jr., Attorney Rick Kornfeld, Attorney Mark Garagos. Susan Holland of ETI Professional Services, and Samuel K. Thurman. And thank you for that, Lisa. Ladies and gentlemen, a very special thanks to Federal Judge, retired Judge H. Lee Serkin for his commitment for justice, and also uh, writer Tom Jackman of the Washington Post for stepping out and all the actors involved with the race card face-up. We recommend go to change.org, sign the petition, uh, and as we seek clemency for these men and their freedom and their release immediately. Uh, you can go out to YouTube and search the race card face-up and see this play that was written by Judge Serkin. America, good night as we continue to seek for justice here on AJC Radio and bring that message of justice all around the world. Good night, America. Richard Rosario, a Bronx man who served 20 years in prison for a murder that more than a dozen alibi witnesses say he could not have committed, opposed plans to dismiss his case. Rosario, over the objections of prosecutors, asked the court to hold the dismissal until a full investigation could be done. Rosario had been released a month earlier after Bronx District Attorney Darcel Clark announced they have no intention of retrying him for the now unsolved 1996 murder of 17-year-old Jorge Falazzo. Rosario insisted he was thus leaving the case in limbo.